That's good. We're, as you know, in the middle of Christmas season right now, Christmas season, and we know that Jesus was not born on December 25th. At least uh, historians believe he was probably born sometime in the summer, more like June or July. Uh, but this is the time that we celebrate his birth. And so I'm excited about Christmas. I like Christmas time, and I plan on gathering together with my family and having a turkey and a ham and some gifts and, uh, and all the other good stuff that goes along with that. Um, this is the second Sunday, as we've talked about before, the second Sunday. This is the third Sunday. This is actually the third Sunday of Advent. This is the third Sunday in Advent, which is the days, the four Sundays leading up to uh, Christmas Eve. It, it, Advent we talked about last week. It just essentially, essentially means uh, expectation or expectation of something coming. Um, uh, it, the arrival of, of, of a significant person, a place, a th- or a, a thing or event. In Christendom, it's celebrated four Sundays preceding Christmas. The coming, the appearing of His promise. Uh, the manifestation of the Messiah was the original uh, intent of Advent and also the anticipation of his coming again, which we anticipate. The revelation of the restorer, the birth of the baby, the Son of God. What a time it was. I want us to just go back in time for this morning and I think we can draw some parallels between uh, what was happening at Jesus' birth and what's happening in our, in our world actually right now. Because we see the end of the story. We know the book already. We've read it, and, and we read it every Christmas. Hopefully, we, we gather at my mother's house and throw on a video of my father, my late father, uh, reading the Christmas story to us. And it was something that we did and from, from Luke chapter 2 and something that we always enjoyed. And we read it, and it to us is a sweet story. But to those that were in the story at the time before his birth, it was not such a sweet time. In fact, it was completely and utterly tumultuous. This morning, I want to talk to you about just before the fullness of time. Just before the fullness of time. It was a great time. It was an, an epoch, a kairos. Kairos, uh, kairos means a time when the spiritual realm, the timing of the spirit, uh, superimposes itself upon chronology or chronos. You've heard me preach before, kairos, uh, kairos overwhelming chronos. And this was, this was a kairos moment. And, and yet there were three uh, specific types of individuals in the earth at the time. I heard the Lord drop this phrase in my, this phraseology that I had not heard before in my spirit this week. They were pastors, prophets, and pretenders in the time of Jesus. They were pastors. They were those shepherds that were simply tending the sheep that was probably the same, the, probably the same fields where David tended his father, Jesse's sheep, um, 1,500 years prior to Jesus. There were prophets, those who had looked in, into the stars and had known there's something special about what's happening in our time right now. Today, there are pastors that are saying, look, it doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like there's a deliverance coming, but there is a deliverer coming. There are those that can look into the heavens and say, I declare what I see in the heavens, and the heaven says a deliverer is on the way, that a deliverer is coming. And then there's pretenders, those that in Jesus' birth, Herod, those that were in the palace, that were in a throne that did not belong to them because the true king was not going to be born in a palace, but in a stable. Just before the fullness of time, when the angels gathered full of wonder and anticipation, the heart of the Father was bursting with love to be manifested in the earth. The heavens were filled with the glory of God and the earth with the scent of suddenly. Shepherds knew something was different about the midnight skies. Wise men were on a several months journey laden with gifts. We think the gift, there were three wise men. The Bible says nothing about there being three wise men. It specifically mentions three gifts, so we assume three wise men. But it says nothing about three wise men. They were just simply wise men. A caravan. Some historians believe that there were 600 plus camels full and laden with provisions that would be brought to that king who was laid in that manger that would provide for him the rest of his life. That's probably something you haven't heard before because they forget that in the Charlie Brown story, but it is true. Wise men were on a several months journey laden with gifts. All of creation was groaning and travailing and waiting for the Son of God to come. The hope of all the nations, the fulfillment to the promise that was made to Eve back in a garden. Remember when God said to Eve, and I will greatly multiply your sorrow in childbirthing, but your seed, your offspring, will crush the offspring of the serpent. In fact, what he said was, it'll bruise your heel, but you'll crush his head. 
utterly annihilate. We know, obviously, we fast forward into the time of Jesus when he was manifested, when he did come and when he did die on a cross, that he did crush uh, the enemy, not just the enemy, the devil, but the enemy, the devil, and the enemy of death. He swallowed up death in victory. And he stood over his fallen foe and cried, Grave, where is your sting? And death, where is your victory? Amen. Remember, the more you amen, the quicker this goes. The more you sit silent, the longer it takes me to get to my point. I'm just kidding. The Prince of Peace, the Mighty One, was coming. The one in whom all things consisted and by whom all things were made. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word, the, the logos, the full expression of the Father. In the beginning was the logos of God and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. I told you last week that John 1 is the Genesis story of the new covenant. If you read in Genesis, we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If you fast forward to John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you go back to Genesis chapter 1. John chapter 1 parallels Genesis chapter 1. Genesis says what happened, and John tells you how it happened. In the beginning was the fullest expression of the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He was with God, and He was God. All things were made by Him and for Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was light, and that light was the life of, you get the story. Life, and that life was the light of men. That's John 1. That is the genesis of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels that tell about his life and tell parallel stories about his life. But John, which would be the one that would, uh, that would lay his head on Jesus' chest and hear the very heartbeat of God, would be the same John that would be uh, committed to the Isle of Patmos. The word Patmos means the place of my killing. He would, it would be the place that he would go and die, and it would be the place that one day he would say, and I heard a voice, and he recognized the voice because he remembered the voice. And he said, and he said, I heard a voice behind me. Can I just talk for a minute and then we'll get back to it? He said, I heard a voice beside me and I turned to see the voice that spoke to me and being turned, I saw. Now, if you read in Revelation chapter 5 or chapter 1 verse 5, I believe it is, John's going to say, and I heard the roaring of a, of a lion, the lion of Judah. But when he turns, he doesn't see a lion. What does he see? He sees a slain lamb. The lion is the kingship and the lordship of Jesus. The lamb is how he obtained that kingship and lordship. It's a revelation. This is good. John knew the voice because it was the same voice that spoke to him from a cross and said, Woman, behold your son. As John stood there and held the mother of Jesus close by. John, behold your mother. John was there. So when he heard a voice that spoke to him, he turned. I can imagine on that Isle of Patmos when he's caught up in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and he hears the voice, he turns like, I, I know that voice. I reckon this is the same one that said, I am he. Remember when he got up from the grave and John outran Peter uh, all the way to the tomb? Have you ever read that? Have you ever looked up what the name John means? It means grace. It means beloved. Have you ever looked up Peter? It means the rock. It means you'll do a whole lot faster and run a whole lot further if you walk in grace than if you're trying to abide by the law. And they snoop in and they find out that the grave is empty. I'm way ahead of myself now. but I, 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 John recognized the voice. And it would be John that would write, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And, and the angels stood over the balcony of heaven and looked down and saw that eight pounds of flesh that was laid in a manger, in a cave. And I said, well, there's God. What a time it was indeed. We see the picture from the other side, from the finished work. But what was it like for those who experienced this Advent? And how in the world can it apply to where we are today? What was it like just before the fullness of time? Luke chapter 2 from the Living Bible. About this time, Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, decreed that a census should be taken Excuse me, throughout the nation. This census was taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone was required to return to his ancestral home for this registration. And because Joseph was a member of the royal line, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, King David's ancient home, journeying there from the Galilean village of Nazareth. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, or as the King James says, his espoused wife, who was obviously pregnant by this time. 
And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him in cloths or in a blanket and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the village inn. In the village inn, I like that. That made me want pizza all of a sudden. What is <laughs> I never have noticed that before, but I like that. You got room for Jesus at the village inn, then he ain't going to bless that pizza. <laughs> that night some shepherds were in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, somebody say suddenly. That's the way he appears. Suddenly it's happened like this, but they take a long time to develop. Suddenly an angel appeared among them, and the landscape shone bright with the glory of the Lord. And they were badly frightened, but the angel reassured them. And he said, do not be afraid. I bring you most joyful news, the most joyful news that has ever been announced, and it's for everyone. Or as the King James says, good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem. How will you recognize him? You will find a baby wrapped in a blanket lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God. Glory to God in the highest heavens, they sang, and peace on earth for all those pleasing him. Just as a footnote, as a side note, anytime you begin to declare, Jesus is come, Jesus has come, he is the, he that was, he that is and is to come, there is always going to be suddenly with you the heavenly host of God, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. You can't mention that name, that precious name, whereby we all are saved. You can't mention that name without there being a development, a, a, a bright shining light that says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace and goodwill. When this great army of angels had returned again to heaven, <clears throat> excuse me, the shepherds said to each other, Come on. If they were in the south, they said, Come on. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they ran to the village and found their way to Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. And the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story expressed astonishment. But Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart and often thought about them. Uh, it's, remember when the angel said, um, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and the power of the highest will come upon you. And that thing that shall be, as the King James says, that thing, that holy thing, which shall be born of you will be called the Son of God. The Bible says that Mary pondered these things in her heart. Here's what pondered means. It means she revolved or recycled the events in her mind. Again and again and again. This is what you do with prophetic words. And if you don't, you might forget. But if you receive a word from the Lord that's decreed by an angel, which just simply is a messenger, and you receive that word, the way to keep that word fertilized and to keep it watered is to repeat it again. But God promised me. But I, it might look like all hell is broken loose with my family. But God, you promised me hold us. And you promised me restoration. It was the mouth of your angel that spoke it. And when, and when you financially have been devastated, like some of us have by COVID, you say, but Lord, you promised me that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I know that the silver is yours and all the gold is yours and you own the cattle on a thing. And you begin to, this is what Mary, she pondered in her heart the things that the angel said. Again and again she recycled them to fertilize the seed of the word that was inside of her womb. The shepherds went back Again to their fields and flocks, praising God for the visit of the angels. And because they had seen the child just as the angel had told them. How many people are ready to see the promise God gave you just like, just like it was told you? There's a whole lot of us that are hanging on by a prayer or hanging on by a thread. But if God promised it, it doesn't matter. If God tells you to step out on a limb and someone comes to chop off the limb, the limb will stay in the air and the tree will fall because he's just as sure as his word. You keep holding on. Just keep holding on. The promise is going to come. He'll come back by way of his promise. He is faithful and true that promise. Remember in Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. You ever read Hebrews 11, the faith chapter? Verse 11 of Hebrews 11 said, By faith Sarah also received strength to conceive seed when she judged him faithful that promised. 
She never received strength to conceive seed when her, when her eyes were on the promise. But when she got her eyes off the promise and back on the promiser and says, it looks impossible, but he's the one that makes a highway through, my God Almighty, that brings river to the desert and a highway through a sea if he's the one that promised it. By faith, she received strength to conceive seed when she judged him faithful, which is to say if he said it, it's going to happen. Did you know the Bible doesn't say that God can't tell a lie? It says that God cannot lie because if God says it, it will happen by virtue of the fact that it came out of his mouth. It doesn't say God can't tell a lie. God can't lie. Everything he says comes to pass. Eight days later at the baby's circumcision ceremony, he was named Jesus. The name given Excuse me, by the angel before he was even conceived. And when the time came for Mary's purification offering at the temple, as required by the laws of Moses after the birth of a child, his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23. For in these laws God had said, If a woman's first child is a boy, he shall be dedicated to the Lord. At that time, Jesus' parents also offered their sacrifice for purification. bang either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons was the legal requirement that day a man named Simeon a Jerusalem resident was in the temple he was a good man very devout and filled with the Holy Spirit and constantly expecting the Messiah to come soon for the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen him God's anointed king the Holy Spirit had impelled him to go to the temple that day. And so when Mary and Joseph arrived to present the baby Jesus to the Lord in obedience to the law, Simeon was there also and took the child in his arms, praising God. I want to talk to some of you that have been believing to see the manifestation of a promise for a long time. Don't give up hope. This is a simple message of hope. Some of you are elders in the church. Or some of you have been in this faith walk for a long time and God promised you something that to this day you've still not seen. You just keep on breathing. You just keep on believing. You keep on moving because as sure as there is a God, you will hold that promise in your arms. That's what Simeon was a type of those that have been faithful and have kept his word and have kept his promise and believed what the Holy Spirit spoke to him. I'm going to see the promise before I die. Lord, he said, now I can die content, for I have seen him as you promised me that I would. I have seen the Savior you have given to the world. He is the light that will shine upon the nations, and he will be the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and Mary just stood there marveling at what was being said about Jesus. Simeon blessed them, but he said to Mary, a sword shall pierce your soul, for this child will be rejected by many in Israel. And this to their undoing. But he will be the greatest joy of many others. And the deepest thoughts of many hearts shall be revealed. Anna the prophetess was also there in the temple that day. Anna. She was the daughter of uh, Phanuel of the Jewish tribe of Asher and was very old. For she had been a widow for 84 years following seven years of marriage. She never left the temple but stayed there night and day worshiping God by praying and often fasting. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she also began thanking God and telling everyone in Jerusalem who had been awaiting the coming of the Savior that the Messiah had finally arrived. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled, there, there, are, there, there are some Annas also in this house this morning and in the kingdom that have uh, that spend your time, as it were, standing in the gap. Remember when the scripture said, I look for one who would stand in the gap. And mom preached years ago, the gap is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. That would stand in the gap and pray and fast. And I know some of you have stood in the gap and have prayed and have fasted in times when it seemed like you were on the top of the mountain. And you've prayed and fasted in times when you were on the valley. And you've shown up for church and you've been faithful to the assignment upon your life, to your family. And, to, and, and you've it, just, just maintained and hold on to the promise. You're going to see it come to manifest. She came along, or I'm sorry, when Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of God, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child became strong, a robust lad, and was known for wisdom beyond his years. And God poured out his blessings upon him. Amen. Just before the fullness of time, just before the suddenly, 
We know, I'm going to read my notes and I want to talk to you for a few minutes and we'll go to Logan's or wherever. We know the glorious birth. We know the story. We know how glorious it is. But what about just before the birth? What was the context in which this miraculous birth was to take place? And how does it parallel to context that we're living in today? The reality to many was this was a frightful time. Mary was a teenager, pregnant, out of wedlock. She would be called a whore by society. Joseph would be called an adulterer by society. How dare he impregnate his teenage fiance before the marriage consummation? They were both unwelcome, unwanted, unruly lawbreakers according to most. In fact, according to most that believe the scriptures called them unwanted, unruly lawbreakers. Joseph had tried to put Mary away privately to save her from impending death by possible stoning. For becoming pregnant outside of wedlock, he had the right to take her, make a public example of her, publicly divorce her, take her outside the city walls, and have her stoned with rocks until she bled to death. All for saying to an angel one day, be it done unto me according to your word. If you think that the anointing of God upon your life is not going to attract some stone throwing, you ain't been in this long enough. What was it like for Mary? Dare I tell anyone? Who would believe me? I only have a few months before what is inside of me will become obvious. What was it like for her? Have you ever thought? Have you ever really thought what was it like for her the first few months before she began to show? An angel just pops in one day. Completely unexpected. She knew the promise of the Messiah. And they all probably thought that he was going to come like a deliverer like Moses or a deliverer like David. And, and slaughter the Roman Empire and set this Isra the Israel captives because they were under Roman occupation at the time. Set them free. No one would have thought he was going to come in this way. And suddenly an angel appears to her and says, Hail Mary, you are blessed and highly favored. He told her something about herself that she didn't already know. And it was not his salutation that made her favored. She was already favored. But it was his salutation that made her see a reality about herself that she didn't already know. I'm looking at a whole lot of people in here this morning. And you're blessed and highly favored, but you don't know it. But I've come from the Lord with a word for you to tell you, you are blessed and you are highly favored. And the Holy Spirit wants to come upon you and put something inside of you that will bring deliverance to your life and to those that are around you. Who would believe me? To me, a son. To the world, a savior. To the religious crowd, a bastard. Jesus. Oh, I can't believe you said that. I didn't say it. But there were plenty in Jerusalem that did say it. I mustn't say a word. What would I say to Joseph? How will he ever believe me? If anyone will believe me, surely Joseph will. He knows my heart. He knows me. He's my protector. He's going to be my husband. In fact, he's my betrothed husband already. How will this possibly hurt him? Will I lose him? Indeed, it would take the voice of an angel to convince even her closest friend, confidant, and future husband. The dread of the revelation of her pregnancy must have been overwhelming to this young teenager. I imagine the one thing that counterbalanced the fear in her mind, and possibly the only thing, was remembering what the angel had already said. Mary lived in this dynamic tension between her reality in the earth realm and the reality in the heavenly realm. And now all of a sudden, here's what happened is the reality of this is going to be the one to give birth to the Savior and the reality of this as a teenage girl on the earth, now they were converging. And a heavenly reality was making its appearance in the earth. And she wasn't going to be able to hide it a whole lot longer. 
Some of you this morning are pregnant with purpose and you're, you're, you're close to showing and you're wondering how in the world is anybody going to believe what I've got inside the promise that God gave me that is completely and utterly preposterous if not impossible. Can you imagine what it was like with this little girl? I mean, we live in America where women have, there were no rights. Women were property in that day. Joseph was probably in his 30s or 40s when he was betrothed to Mary, who was probably 13 or 14 years old. That was the context of the time. Can you imagine the fear of a 13 or 14 or 15-year-old child carrying a baby, the Savior of the world inside of her, and how am I going to convince this person who's, who's who, essentially that I'm his property that I really didn't go out or step out or nothing happened? This is something that God did. If Abby were to come to me today and tell me she's pregnant, I would be in prison tomorrow. Daddy, I got something to tell you, and you ain't going to believe this. And she tells me she's pregnant. I promise you, it's going to be the end of OJB. I will be locked up because it ain't going to be pretty. And if she were to come to me and say, no, 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 this, God did this, God, Daddy. <laughs> can you imagine? How many daddies you can imagine? No, God did this. Or if Elizabeth showed up to me one day and said, I, I got to tell you something, I'm pregnant, and God did it. <laughs> what? God did it. God did this. It literally took the voice of an angel coming to Joseph in his sleep saying, Hey, don't be afraid to take unto yourself Mary as your wife because everything she told you is true. And the thing inside of her, that's the son of God, but he's going to be your son. You're going to be responsible to raise him. And, and Joseph said, Well, you telling me I'm going to be the one responsible to teach God how to walk? Did she chuckle thinking about Jesus' chubby little feet? Was she immediately overcome with the reality that she was going to change God's diapers? <laughs> the one human being alive, the only one human being alive, more connected to God than any other human being at that time, literally. Were her fears quieted by the beating heart of the Prince of Peace within her? Just before the suddenly, just before the fullness of time, the best of times, and the worst of times at the same time. I feel like we're walking right now. If, if you're able to look and be objective, we can say this is truly for us the best of times and the worst of times. All of hell has broken loose, and yet my dad was, was famous for saying, anytime that all hell breaks loose, you can rest assured all heaven's breaking loose with it. The best of times, the worst of times. I imagine many of us who have long-awaited promises could find similarities with Mary. We can identify with some of her feelings. I mean, we know what God has promised us. Now, if God has ever promised you something, I'd like to see your hand. Essentially, all of us. God has promised you something, and I know that He's promised me something. We remember the warmth of His voice when He made the promise, like a warm blanket with a promise for our future. We've heard the prophetic utterances through the years, yet many become weary in the waiting. The prophetic promise becomes hope deferred when there's no manifestation. And we all know the scripture says that hope deferred makes heart sick. To you I say when doubt tries to creep in, remember what the Father has spoken to you by the angel. Angel simply means messenger. What has God said? Now, we look in the face of COVID-19, and some of us look in the face of financial ruin, and some of us are looking in the face of, 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 of the ruin of our health. And, the, and the, I mean, just look around. We're, we're at, a, we're at a one-sixth of the, even the congregation size that we normally would have. Everything and everybody in the earth has been touched at this, been touched by this pandemic, which is not, in my opinion, the pandemic is not COVID. The pandemic is fear that has been peddled by the prognosticators and the naysayers, and it's, but it's touched all. All of us, even if it hasn't touched you directly and you're not afraid of a virus that has a 99.997% recovery and survival rate, it, it, and I know people have been touched by it, I know personally those that have, and I know people have died from it, they've also died from cancer, they've also died from abortion, they've also died from a whole plethora of other things, and we don't shut down the world over that, but I, I digress. But the pandemic is fear. And in Mary's day, the pandemic was also fear. And the only thing that kept her going day to day was knowing, I've got to feed and nurture the promise of God that is living inside of me. 
I think in 2020 we've come to the point, I know I have personally, where I look around and say, my God, all hell's breaking loose. I mean, I've got this one is left and that one's left and these have left personal lives and, and, this, and this business has shut down and we've lost whatever, tens of thousands and some of us have lost our health. Some of us have sacrificed friendships and we say, what in the world? And yet we've got to keep walking because the promise that is inside is going to be manifested if we'll keep. I've got to feed the promise. There had to be this, this incredible dynamic tension between what God had promised and her present reality. And the present reality was, I could be stoned at any minute. But her heavenly reality was, I ain't going to be stoned one minute before I give birth to this promise. Somebody in 2020 is going to get enough gumption to say, it doesn't matter what they say on the news station. And it really doesn't matter what anybody says. What matters is what he said to me. And until his promise comes forth, I'm going to keep walking and I'm going to keep believing. And I'm going to keep revolving these things in my mind that God has said about me. When doubt tries to, tries to creep in, remember what the Father has spoken. What has God said? What is the promise? Reponder these things. Repeat these things in your heart. Rehearse them with your mouth. I got a word for you this morning. You're suddenly coming. The fulfillment of the promise is already growing inside of you. From the moment that Mary said, be it done unto me, according to your word, she received the seed of God within her womb, and she was her, that egg inside of her was fertilized with the promise. No wonder Jesus would be called the Word of God. He started as a Word, and He was manifested as a Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos of God. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was spoken by the angel Gabriel. And the Word went down deep inside of the virgin womb of Mary and fertilized an egg. And all of a sudden, he that had never been seen was going to be seen because he was growing deep in that dark virgin womb of this 13 or 14 or 15-year-old teenager. And it was a matter of time before all the earth would see that's what God's face looks like. They were going to see the glory of God because the scripture is, is abundantly clear. The glory of God is found in the face of Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of the promise was already growing inside of Mary. The fulfillment of your promise is already growing inside of you. And it really doesn't matter what the naysayers say. Don't you dare give up before your fullness of time. If you'll be faithful in the waiting... That's the hard part. That's the hard part. Faithful in the waiting. Oh, God. You promised me. You know, you know how hard it is to be faithful in the waiting? The Bible is littered with stories in the Old Testament and New of those who would have to be faithful in the waiting. David would be simply minding his own business, tending his father's flock, not even his, doing what he probably loved, having his harp, singing, watching over the sheep. And suddenly one day, the, the, long, uh, the, the long horn full of oil that was around the shoulder of Samuel the prophet. And the, I mean, he was a feared man, a very feared man. In fact, the Bible says that not one word that Samuel ever spoke fell to the ground. And he would show up at Jesse the Bethlehemite's house one day and said, bring your sons so that I can look at them because among your sons is the new king of Israel. And Jesse pulls all seven of his sons in, except he didn't have seven, he had eight. But he pulls in his seven and, saw, and Samuel looks at each one of them and says, no, you ain't it. And no, you ain't it. And they were tall and they were handsome and they, and they were, uh, they were uh, taught how to, how to fight in battle, how to fight in warfare. And one after another, after another, they, none of them wound up being the one. And some historians say the reason that David wasn't brought in is because there's a good chance that David was the illegitimate son of Jesse and didn't have the same mother as the other seven brothers and it was a, he was a, Jesse was ashamed of David so he sent him out to tend to the sheep. Now that's not biblical but some historians and theologians think that they have biblical context for that and so can you imagine what it's like when, when Samuel says wait a minute God said to come to your house where's the prophet and he finally pulls David in. I know where I'm going just bear with me and finally he says well I mean I do got this one other boy. He's kind of a mistake. I wasn't going to bring him up. 
I don't think this would be the one you'd want. He's not the best looking and he's not the best guitar player and he's not, he's not very good with words and he's this and he's not that. And Samuel said, I didn't ask you what he was. He's your son. Go call for him. And so they call for him and here comes little David. And David walks in and the moment that Samuel's eyes fell upon David, he knew because the Lord said, this is a king after my own heart. And he takes his horn of oil and he pours it upon David's head. Golden oil flowed down the head of David as the anointed king. It was going to be 17 or so more years, roughly, maybe 15 to 17 more years before David would ever receive a crown. Because what immediately is going to happen is Saul's going to find out and Saul's going to be jealous. And he's going to say, wait a minute, you telling me you've anointed somebody else? And God set the whole thing. God is always about setting things up. You're in a setup. You might not know it yet, but God set it up. And so what happened was the Bible says an evil spirit of the Lord came upon King Saul. Go read your Bible. It's in your Bible. An evil spirit of the Lord came upon Saul and he was tormented. And he said, my God, can anybody do anything? There is a boy and when he plays and he worships, that spirit can't hang around for very long. Well, go get him and bring him in. And so God made a way for David to come in and look around and see all the trappings and hanging in the palace that one day was going to be his. So David simply plays. And, and yet David would live at least 15 years with javelins being thrown at him, having to live in caves, having to have his wife stolen and his family done away with and living in, I mean, just his best friend who was Saul's son, Jonathan, finding out that he dies in, in warfare, then Saul dies. I mean, can you imagine what it's like? It, he had to be faithful in his waiting. What was it like for Joseph when mama came out and said, you ain't going to believe what I knit for you today. I've been knitting all this week or however long, I don't know, however long it takes. But, you know, 4,000 years ago, maybe she'd been knitting for six and a half months. Look at this beautiful coat I've got. It's so colorful and it's beautiful. And I didn't have any for the rest of your ten brothers, but you're going to get one. Here you go, Joseph. And Joseph must have been, oh, look at my coat. I'm so special. I'm so favored. He had no idea that the dreams that God gave him was ultimately going to drive him into a pit. He would be sold by his brothers into slavery. He would come into Potiphar's house. He would gain, garner favor with Potiphar because he was a wise man, a brilliant man. And then Potiphar's wife would come on to him and lie about him. And then he'd be thrown into the dungeon. I mean, this guy was up and down and up and down. And at some point, you get to the place where you're almost ready to curse your promise. I, if I had known all of the hell that I was going to have to go through before the manifestation, I might not have said yes to it. And yet, we've got to learn to become faithful in the waiting. And understand that the purposes and the promises of God are, uh, He's going to, if He started it, He's going to finish it. He's not only the author of my faith, but He's the finisher of my faith. And all of us are excited when He starts the book, but very few of us want to be faithful in the waiting until He finishes it. And finally, you know, he tells the, he, he talks to the butcher or, 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 the, or, the, or, the, or the, uh, the baker. He says, don't forget about me when you go back into, uh, into, into see the, the Pharaoh. Don't forget about me. I, I interpreted the dreams for you. Of course, he, got, he was forgotten about. The butcher and the baker and the candlestick maker. All of them forgot about him. I'm just simply trying to give you some hope to say, man, I know what it's like. You think I don't know what it's like? If you have, if you have any clue what, a, what any type of New Testament, New Covenant pastor has to deal with, and there are plenty of them in Statesville, and I've talked to a lot of them, they're my friends, trying to pastor in this arena, in this crazy geopolitical uh, 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 charged arena where everything offends everybody. If you do, you offend somebody. If you don't, you offend somebody. If you, if you wear a mask, somebody thinks you're weak. If you don't wear a mask, well, you don't love people. You know? If you preach and say, this is the candidate God's chosen, you're a prophet of God. And the other side says, you're a bunch of, uh, of uh, heretical naysayers. And if you say, this was the candidate of God, you say, how in the world do you call yourself? I mean, can you imagine what it's like trying to shepherd in this type of an atmosphere? I can imagine what it's like for you in your life just trying to make it work and trying to feed your family and trying to maybe show up to our school teachers having to learn essentially a whole new career after you've gotten a certificate to learn what you were supposed to do. Now, oh, you need to be a computer genius as well. And you need to learn how to do this online and you need to learn how to... Can you imagine what it's like for teachers trying to keep the attention of first and second graders on a computer? Hey, Johnny, listen. 
no way in the world. I couldn't do it. I, I would have quit day one. None of, none of us outside of the Holy Spirit really knowing what the heck is going on. Because it doesn't make sense for the world to be shut down over a virus with a survival rate of 99.997%. And this is, lo- that's illogical. It doesn't make any sense. So what it, but if you say that, then all of a sudden you're a conspiracy theorist. Am I, am, is anything that I'm saying whatsoever hitting any buttons or pushing buttons? Yeah, I can relate to that. You say any of these things and, and suddenly, you know, you're, and what, it, what it is is, is they, 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 want us to, they want us to separate and they want us to be ice. When I say they, those that think they are the powers that be, but the powers of the world to come are speaking right now and saying, look, if you'll be faithful and awaiting, I can guarantee you that, that God's going to come back by, 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 by his promise. He always fulfills what he starts. He always fulfills, but you've got to be faithful in the waiting. I came to give you hope. I came to tell you that just before or just after the greatest move of God in your life, it seems to be the greatest tumultuous, the greatest battle, the most warfare you will ever face in your life. But it always comes just before the suddenly or just before the fullness of time. And I feel like it's not because we're coming to the end of the year, but I'm telling you, there's something that boils up in my spirit when I think about the goodness of God and what He's about to shed. Uh, I believe we're about to walk into the greatest. When I say revival, I don't mean services where people just get saved. I'm talking about a revival where dead things come back to life. I believe that we're. I believe that we're walking into a new reformation. I really believe that we're in. We're in a whole new reformation of of church things, and I believe there will always be a Sunday morning gathering. And I believe there always should be, but I believe what finally has happened is the whole. Holy Spirit inside the walls is kicking down the walls and forcing us to do Christianity a different way. To actually be the church instead of do church. But I believe that we are walking into the days of a great awakening where there's going to be an outpouring of God's Spirit upon this nation and upon the nations. See, this is what the enemy does. He's so stupid. He is stupid. He'll set a whole program up and God say, that's good. That's good, little servant. You set that up for me. Now I'm going to use it. Because in case you had not figured it out yet, the devil is not the equal opposite of God. He's a dog on a leash and he does what he's told. You can prove that by the scripture. In fact, if you go and read Revelation, the Bible says that, that we would say, well, you mean this was the deceiver of the nations? This little rat, this little measly little nothing is the one? Yeah, that's the one. Starts out as a serpent in Genesis, and by the time he gets to Revelation, it thinks it's a great red dragon. Why? Because it's been fed by the power of the church. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a coming revival. There is a coming reformation. And I don't mean in the years to come. I'm talking about in the days to come. We are literally living just before the fullness of time, just before the suddenly of God, where Statesville and other cities become synonymous with His glory. When, when people just passing through Statesville, there'll be a fogginess of His glory, and there'll, there'll, be, uh, there'll be healings happening. And I still believe it. I saw it in the Spirit, and He's faithful to co- accomplish it by His Spirit. But the problem is he doesn't, He's looking for a people that will also be faithful. And say, when it looks like we should just close the doors and be done and shut down. No, no, no. If it's me and my family coming here, we're going to worship God and we're going to prophesy and we're going to pray and we're going to encourage and we're going to reach out and we're going to call and we're going to come back next week and we're going to prophesy and we're going to praise and we're going to encourage and we're going to reach out and the next week we're going to prophesy and we're going to pray. And at some point we might be old like Simeon or we might be in age like Anna, but we will hold in our arms the promise of God because he's faithful. We live in just before the fullness of time. This is, it's a wonderful, depending on your perspective, it's the greatest time to be alive. Anytime things are utterly and ultimately bleak, it's, you need to be looking because Jesus always shows up in the impossible. He's looking for a way. He's looking for an opportunity. He's looking for a church that will say, come and let us be your throne. Come and sit upon us. Come bring your presence and let it emanate from us, not just on Sunday mornings, but let's not forget Sunday mornings. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, what's the old song? January. <laughs> oh, wow. We sang an old song. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We will never sing it again. He's Lord. And they would, they would sing the months, honest to God. 
June, July, August, September, October, November, December. He's Lord. My God. It's a tongue twister. But he is Lord. And he is faithful. And he's always faithful. And he's coming to manifest his presence among us. I'm telling you, I'm just here to proclaim and to try to give you a little bit of hope. If one person here leaves and says, you know what? I'm just going to believe God for the promise that he gave me. It doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what society says. And it doesn't matter what it looks like. I believe that God can, can take me from nowhere to somewhere with nothing can take me from being seeming like a nobody to being a somebody by his spoken word. That's the way that he manifests. Just before the fullness of time. Okay, Lord. This is, this is what we do. We say, be it done unto me according to your word. Be it done unto me. And that carries power. I've already read to you John 1.1. Because in the beginning was the... And the Word was with God and the Word... The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, by the Word, and for Him. And without His Word was not... So if you spoke your Word, the same Word that said, Let there be light, and out of nowhere there was light. You've heard me say before, I think it bears repeating. How did God create light? He didn't take some matter out there and say, I'm going to cause you to be light. He spoke it, and literally what he did was he birthed it. Light was inside of the womb of God, and he said, let there be light. And it came up and out of his mouth and into manifestation. That's the pattern of the kingdom. That's the pattern of new covenant understanding. So what you say is, I believe God's promise. If it's for it, 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 whatever it's for, whatever your promise, for perfect health, I declare that I'm going to have perfect. Let there be perfect health and watch it manifest. Are you saying I can just say it? I'm saying your words, the, the Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. If you want to give life to something, you better be revolve it in your mind and speak it with your mouth. I'm believing for perfect health. I'm believing for perfect I'm believing. And, and before long, you're going to find out that God will give you strategies and keys and principles to walk in perfect health. Now, don't declare it, you know, every single day of the week, but then go down and eat three buckets of chicken every day of the week because then you're just, you're killing yourself. And I like chicken. Nothing wrong with chicken. Except when they start that hollering and bellering at 4 o'clock in the morning at our house. Boy, I just like that. My neighbor's got 70 of them. I don't want to let yell out the window, Layla, go to work. <laughs> the Lord promised me restoration of my family. The Lord promised me the restoration of my family. The Lord promised me the rest. I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I'm going to see my family restored. I'm going to see my business restored. I am going to walk and see my business restored. I'm going to watch the financial blessing of God come upon my life. Whatever it is. I'm just picking out some, some ones. I don't know what your promise is because I might not have been there. But you were there when God made the promise. You are the one that heard the voice of the angel. And it is your job to remain faithful in the waiting because I promise you. If you'll keep feeding that, that seed that's inside of you. And allow that seed to grow. At some point, you'll hold in your arms the manifestation of the promise of God. You promised me that my son would be restored to my family. You promised me that he would be restored to, per to a perfect mind. You promised me. And I just believe that your promises, it doesn't matter what I see. It doesn't matter the way it seems because I know that the facts might say that he's all strung out. But the reality is, he's my son and he's the son of God. And he's going to walk. I mean, you've got to begin to say some stuff. Declare some things. Believe some things. Declare a thing and it will be established unto you. Revolve it in your mind. That's what Mary did. All these things in her heart. Just think about whatever promise God made. He, you didn't start it. He started it. If God made a promise, He said it. Let Him believe Him for it and let Him watch it come to pass. Or let Him force it to come to pass. Amen. Amen. I don't want to belabor the point. I certainly don't want you bored with me. just want to give you hope. I want somebody to walk out of here and say, yeah, it's a new day. I'm about to see... I'm about to see my suddenly. It, suddenly it's happened like this, but they take a long time to develop. The disciples, when they were in the upper room after Jesus' ascension, 40 days after his resurrection, and they're waiting there because 50 days is when he would, penta, which means 50, is when he's gonna, his spirit be poured out. They had no idea how long they were going to be waiting in the upper room. Here was the, here was, here's what it says. Jesus said, tarry you here in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. 
And then the next thing you know, boom, Jesus is taken from the family, the heavens, the great cloud of witnesses, opened up, took Jesus, grabbed him by the hand, and took him up into the heavenly realm. And they didn't, and all they knew to do is, well, he made a promise. When's it going to happen? I don't know, but he promised it. What's it going to look like? I have no idea, but he promised it. And so they gathered together. And they waited for the promise. Tarry ye here in Jerusalem until you be endued. And they were faithful in the waiting until finally there came a That suddenly took 10 days from the time that he ascended for, before it to happen. But they didn't know it would be 10 days. It might have been one day. And in fact, did you know that there were 500 essentially that went up to wait for that promise? But only 120 of them remained. Which means 380 of them said, Jesus missed it. Wherever he went, when he got sucked up in that cloud, he forgot about us. I'm going home. I got things to do, or whatever. But there were 120 that said, no, he promised us to stay here, and I refuse. There's somebody in this place that's going to get enough gumption in the Spirit to say, I refuse to let go of the promise that Jesus himself made me. I refuse to let go of the prophetic word that he gave me. If I've got to stay here and wait here and declare it and revolve it with my own mouth and my own mind, I will not move until the promise is fulfilled. And when you do, suddenly, a suddenly's coming. Suddenly, suddenly, one minute it's like this, and suddenly, in the blink, in the in the in the blink, in the twinkling of an eye, suddenly, suddenly he comes, and your suddenly is just around the corner. But you better be faithful in the waiting. Feed the seed that's inside of you. Let's all stand. I'm done. I, I could keep going. Believe me, and I don't want to bore you. Eli, give me something. Father, whatever promise it is that you made us, we do know this. We know what you said with your own mouth, Jesus, that the thief comes not forth but to kill and to steal and to destroy, but you have come. You said, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Not some glad morning, but right now, this morning, right now in the here and now. I don't just want to make heaven my home. I want my home to be like heaven. And so, Lord Jesus, as it was for Mary in that crazy, fearful, tumultuous time, the first words from the angel to the shepherds would be, fear not. It's almost like it's our human default to become afraid, Lord, when, when we're not in control and we really don't know what, what's, what is going to happen next. Or what's gonna, but, but, but you're telling us, and I believe that in 2020, you're telling fear not. Fear not. To the best of my ability, Lord, with what you've given me by your Spirit, I have tried to encourage your people. I have tried to bring good tidings of great joy. Encourage your heart to believe that what you promised you will fulfill. That what you started, you will complete. That you're not just the author, but the finisher of our faith. I know there are some here, Father, that have been devastated by this pandemic. Their health has been devastated, or their finances have been devastated, or their, their family, or their reputation, or whatever it is, Father. Even their, 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 their emotions have been devastated by this pandemic. But, Father, I believe that I'm bringing good tidings of great joy, that you are with us, and if we'll be faithful in the waiting, that we will see the manifestation of the promise. We know that we're living just before the fullness of time, just before the suddenly. I pray for a portion of faith to be given to everyone here, Father, to hang on to the promise and believe for it. That we wouldn't experience hope, hope deferred, which makes the heart sick, but the manifestation of hope, the revealing of your promise in our lives. I thank you for this season that we celebrate your coming and your birth. And I pray that in this season, in 2020, and coming into the new year, that we would see your manifestation of your spirit and your restoration in our lives. In Jesus' name.